0: This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity. It's good to be with you. My name is Zach Lutz. I'm pastor here, if you do not know me. uh, We are continuing our sermon series in. Uh, 1 Samuel. We'll be going through 1 and 2 Samuel all the way to Christmas. And if you'll remember, last week we talked about trusting God when things go from bad to worse. Uh, Today we're going to be exploring this idea of security. Uh, Some of you know that I have recently bought a house here, uh, my wife and I in Puerto Rico, and one of the previous owners of this home was very concerned about security. There are rejas or bars on the outside and the inside of all of the ceiling entrances, like the little like skylight things uh, that I don't think are big enough for a person to pass through, but might be. Uh, There are bars on the outside of the windows and doors. And then on the inside of the doors, there are also those big bars that you like put in the arms, you know, that prevent people from like knocking in the doors. Uh, There's security cameras uh, on all of the uh, corners and angles. Person was very concerned about security. Now, security is one of those things that we all deeply desire, to one degree or another. In a list I recently saw on what our deepest desires are, it was a list of of things like to be seen, to be soothed, but one of the top ones is to be secure. We try so hard to find security in so many things. Of course, it is often physical security, such as iron bars on our windows. But we also look for for security in our savings— In the housing market, which I just invested into, I'd like to see that investment protected. We look for security for our children to keep them safe from those who would prey upon them or from dangers that might entice them. We we try so hard to secure ourselves from dangers that we uh, anticipate them and cultivate anxiety about them that keeps us up at night. This is especially true when we feel that our security is at risk. When the market is tanking, when crime is increasing, when our children's peers are careening into foolish and destructive behaviors, that is when we have the most anxiety about our security. Christians ought to be marked by their unshakable security. And we are often amazed at the faith of our brothers and sisters who are persecuted around the world for their faith, right? When they, when they continue to proclaim their faith despite bodily harm or harm to their families, we are shocked by it. How do they have so much security in God's plan? Despite the real and present risks, how are they so secure? Last week, we learned from the positive example of the Hebrews, what to do when things go from bad to worse. But this week, we're going to learn from their negative example. So we're going to have to do the opposite of what they do. Of to find true security in the face of whatever risks and dangers may approach us in this life. Market, volatility, wayward children, joblessness, or religious persecution. We should all find our security in God's character and in his calling. And those are going to be our two points today, God's character in his calling, If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word, which comes from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice." and your and your donkeys and put them to his work he will take the 10th of your flocks and you shall be his slaves and in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves but the lord will not answer you in that day but the people refused to obey the voice of samuel and they said no but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his own city. This ends the reading of God's word. May it provide security for us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Please be seated. So today we're looking for true security, and we're going to look for it in God's character and in his calling and in his plan. God's character and God's plan. And we are learning from the negative examples of the Hebrews. Now, there are many reasons to not feel secure in this world. I've already listed a few, um, but we could go on. There are wars, mass shootings, random acts of violence. There is deceitfulness, backstabbing, lies, and treachery. There are natural disasters. There are earthquakes happening all around us in Puerto Rico. And thankfully so far, we've had no tsunami warnings. We've just entered hurricane season. There are vices and things that lure us into forfeiting our lives into various addictions. There are simple mistakes, errors, blunders that cause us to lose our things rapidly. There's also just the slow changing of the times and our growing fear that we're going to lose these things that we have worked so hard for. See, I think one of the biggest things that underlies um, our anxiety concerning our security is that we know that we have so much to lose. We are by any measure of the world unbelievably wealthy. We have homes, cars, food, families, ability to travel, ability to retire. We have so much and we recognize that it can all change and become increasingly paranoid that someone might take it all or that circumstances might change and slowly erode that which we hold so dear, might erode those things in which we find security. The Israelites here are concerned with a very similar thing. They thought themselves to be in the good good times of their their, um, lives, and in many ways they were. If you'll remember how we ended chapter 7, it said that they were left in peace because they had Samuel to intercede to God on their behalf. And when he interceded, God fought their battles for them and delivered them from the Philistines so they could be kept safe from foreign invaders. They were enjoying their prosperity, but Samuel was aging and his sons did not follow in his footsteps. Murmurs grew that threats from the outside may break in. Over market volatility and recession and fears of foreign invasion uh, became the thing that the people focused on. The person that they could count on, Samuel, for security, was leaving. How would they now have security? And as the murmurs and conversations grew, they looked around at how their neighbors found security, and they said, ah. We need a king like they have. Their king provides them security. We need to go ask God for a king. So now they go to Samuel, who intercedes to God on their behalf, and they say, give us a king. Now, when Samuel goes to tell it to God, he's a little bit shaken. He's like, whoa, God, they don't trust me to provide for them anymore. What happened? And God's response is a little bit to coach Samuel on like, perspective, right? Samuel's not the deliverer. God is. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're rejecting you, but they're actually rejecting me. They're rejecting me for being king over them. The Israelites were rejecting God from being their king because they didn't think that God was reliable enough. They thought that there were deficiencies in his character. Now, this makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Which is more logical when you need protection? Is it to trust on the security of a million man standing army to fight at a moment's notice, well-trained and well-armed or to count on the thunder of the Lord? Because if you remember last week in chapter seven, if you were to go back to chapter seven and read it, they had to count on the thunder of the Lord to save them from the Philistines. In some sense, both Samuel and God are hurt by Israel's request for a king. But God tells Samuel to give them what they were asking, but to warn them that um, finding security in God's character is, is so much better than security like the other kings, because the other kings' character are actually the ones that are deficient. Look at how he, how he warns them. Kings like the other nations would take, 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 and take. They'll take your sons, they'll take your daughters, they'll take the best of your fields, they'll take a tenth of the grain, they'll take the best of your male and female servants, they'll take a tenth of your flocks, and ultimately you will be enslaved to the very thing that you believe will provide you security. In effect, when the Israelites didn't believe God to be reliable enough, they doubted his character. They thought that he might be finicky, possibly disinterested, That he needed specific people to cry out to him, like Moses or Samuel. He seemed irregular. And they wanted something more secure. When God challenges their view and tells Samuel to warn them, he confronts them on his own character. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. To find true security, the Israelites were to find it in the character of God. And I'd like you to notice throughout the whole Bible, God never takes like human kings. He gives. Even here, at the demand of his own people to dethrone God, he concedes everything. As one commentator said, he does not resist, he does not argue, he does not rage, does not retaliate. He gives them a king. God's character is impeccable. And if we are to find true security, we need to find it in God's character. And so I thought I would list some of the character traits that the Bible um, repeats over and over and over again. I'm gonna warn you, it's a long list, but these are the ones that are repeated most frequently, and there are many, many more. He's attentive, compassionate, Creator, Deliverer, Eternal, Faithful, Generous, Glorious, Good, Holy, Unchanging, Incomprehensible, Infinite, Jealous, Just, Loving, Merciful, Patient, A Provider, A Refuge, Righteous, Self-existent, Self-sufficient, Sovereign, Transcendent, Truthful, Wise, Worthy, and Wrathful. Maybe there's uh, three that help summarize this list best, and they're the Omnis. Maybe you've heard of them. There's omnipotence. He's all-powerful. God can literally stop the earth from rotating, right? He stops the day from moving forward so that the Israelites can can win a battle later. He stops the earth from rotating, and there are no astrophysical um, implications later. He's able to do whatever he wants. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Nothing goes unseen, unnoticed, or uncared for. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He cannot be deceived, duped, or escaped. He knows the depths of your own heart better than you do. He knows why you do those things, even when you do not. When you're feeling insecure, are you able to cling to these attributes? Are your prayers marked by asking for the resources to overcome your own securities by more things or your prayers marked by crying out to find security in the character of God himself. Because I often feel insecure and overwhelmed when there are decisions on my plate uh, that I, I can't figure out the right answer to. Um, is this school right for Joaquin or is this other school right for Joaquin? Is this the house right now that is right for our family? What would it look like for me to thank God for his attentiveness to these questions that I have on my plate? To cast myself upon his wise omnipotence To be less concerned about whether or not I have the right answer that protects my own name, but acknowledge that even in my sin or error, natural disaster, or unforeseen circumstance, that he is still present and merciful with me. That he is my refuge if markets turn. That he really is sovereign over events that are totally outside of my control. And that when certain doors close, it is because he, in fact, closed them. In order to find true security, we need to see how God's character is utterly reliable, no matter the circumstance. I think this is truly what people have found who do experience persecution for their faith. They found that even in the destruction of their very bodies, they know that God's character is impeccable. It is unchangeable, that he is the same and he will not fail that his wrath burns against those evildoers, and that their suffering has a purpose beyond what they can see because God's ways are incomprehensible to us. Now, how can we grow to understand God's character more and more? And one uh, simple advice I can give you is to pay attention to your prayers. Because I often pray that I might have the things that would make me more secure, wisdom to make the right choice or the bars on the windows. This isn't wrong to ask for, per se. But I wonder what it would look like for us to follow that up with an acknowledgement of how God himself provides security for that insecurity. That even if the wrong choice is made, or even if security vulnerabilities are exploited, even if our houses are robbed, and even if our, uh, in, he is our refuge even when we are homeless, that even if we are treated unjustly, that he is omnipresent and omniscient, that he sees when we turn the other cheek, and one day we'll make all things right. If our trouble, like the Israelites, is that we tend to want what God has to offer instead of a relationship with him. I don't know if you guys remember this. In our last few sermons, and we'll see this throughout First and 2 Samuel and throughout the whole Bible, really. Um, people really want what God has to offer, but they don't really want God himself. If our trouble is that, let us practice in our prayers acknowledging how God himself provides us security for our deepest insecurities. So in order to find true security, we must learn to see the security of God's character itself. But even if we can rest in God's character itself, um, one of those character attributes that I I mentioned was his incomprehensibleness. And this provides us uh, a little bit of a problem Uh, because his plan is incomprehensible. uh, It doesn't feel very secure. Uh, It feels actually very insecure. The Hebrews would find that God's plan felt very insecure. It felt too different, too backwards, too upside down. What was normal was a king, and they preferred a security plan like the other nations. I wonder if you guys have ever had a a church or a community of people, a group of friends, um, that you you really loved, um, that were really precious to you. Uh, And that time in your life really stood out. I think for uh, many of us that can be college, Um, Whether it was a campus ministry or just a group of friends, we had like intense amounts of time together. Um, We were learning a lot. We spent a lot of time together uh, and and we shaped each other in profound and meaningful ways. And when the time came to leave, uh, it felt a little bit vulnerable. We felt a little bit exposed, not very secure. Uh, It felt like we were risking uh, isolation and loneliness, that we wouldn't have people around to help protect us. You see, a security plan like the other nations would tell us to stay right where we are, to stay where you are thriving. And in many times, God does call us to stay where we are thriving. But sometimes his plan involves challenges and difficulties that we would prefer not to face, right? Or his plan is to take you to a place where maybe your purpose is questioned. I wonder if some of you felt that way when God called you to move to Puerto Rico. Or I wonder if some of you have felt that way when your friends and loved ones have moved away from Puerto Rico. Really, we look around and as Christians, we just want to be secure like our neighbors are secure. God, if you really do care for us, why are you calling me or causing me to go through such difficulty, such loneliness, such health issues? God's plan often feels like he's removing a lot of our safety nets. Israel didn't just doubt God's character, they doubted his plan. With Samuel aging and his sons looking like pretty bad dudes, uh, in some sense they were worried about what the next plan would be, and it seems like God didn't have any. There was no one to take Samuel's place. They had their own plan, though. They wanted a king like the other nations. And it may not have been wrong for them to ask for this king, but they wanted a king that would give them security like their neighbors had. But it was never really God's intention for Israel to be like their neighbors in any meaningful way. If you were to read through all of the books of the Bible that precede 1 Samuel, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy especially, you would hear God telling the Israelites time and time again how He is going to set them apart, make them a holy nation and special to Him. But His plan required um, a lot of exposure to risks that the, the Israelites would prefer not to take, they would rather stay comfortable. They'd rather go back to Egypt to go back to what they knew. They wanted a plan like the other nations had. So they offer God their plan, but God tries to explain to them why their plan is flawed. He's like, if you have a king like the other nations, then he will do exactly what the other nations' kings do. He will take, 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 and take from you. But I have a plan to give you a king that will give, 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 and give to you. If you were to fast forward to next week, you'd see that Saul is the king that uh, the people have chosen for themselves, and he was very much a king like the other nations. He was tall, a tall, mighty warrior who doesn't necessarily follow the Lord, but seeks his own power, and he will cause division in Israel for decades. Now, David is far from perfect, but David is a king that is contrasted with Saul in our book, a man after God's own heart who will lead the people in faithfulness would give himself on behalf of the people. You see, God had a plan to give them a king, but their king was never gonna be like the king of other nations because they weren't going to be a nation like the other nations, but a nation holy, special, set apart. So it may not have been wrong for them to ask for a king. It may not be wrong for us to ask for the desires of our hearts, But they'd have to ask uh, and be willing to say, not my will, but yours be done. And if they had, they probably would have heard God's warning and yielded to God's plan because they would have been sure, without a doubt, that their greatest security was always in God's plan, even if it felt more insecure. God's plan for our life often feels insecure. It feels like the wrong moves on a chessboard. It isn't wrong for us to ask God for his plan to align with the desires of our hearts, whether for success in our business ventures or friendships or spouses or children or a good name or protection. Security often feels like it can only be found in the plans that we can imagine. But God's a better chess player. He knows why he's making the moves that he is, even if it feels like going backwards. Even if God's plan is incomprehensible to us, His moves on the chessboard are always to make us holy, special people. Now our understanding of his character, our first point, um, helps us uh, in the face of his incomprehensible plan. When we're faced with moving backwards and the very real pain and suffering that God may bring into our life, what we need to fall back on is the reminder of his character in our first point. And we need to look forward in obedience to continue to obey the commands that he's given to us, despite the moves that he's making in our lives, which may feel very insecure. I wonder if you've ever considered the challenges that you are facing, the fears, the gnawing anxiety, the health challenges, the mourning, the loneliness, the joblessness, the marital conflicts, and the difficulties parenting. I wonder if you've ever considered that these are God's plan for you, to make you holy, special, set apart, When God's plan for our life feels insecure, it is a calling to find our security in the impeccability of his character, but also the goodness of his plan, even when it appears incomprehensible to us. Now, Israel was convinced that God's character should be different than it was. Uh, They thought that it should be more like the other nations, right? Like, if God was going to be their king, uh, then he wanted, the, the Israelites wanted God, their king, to be more like the kings of the other nations. Um, And they also thought that his plan should operate a certain way, that it should operate according to the plans of the nations. And we're very much the same. Uh, We think that God would have the same reaction to certain sins that we would, that he would react just as violently to sins that we see around us in our neighborhoods and communities. We're also sure that his plan should look a certain way, Uh, so much so that we work really hard at trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Um, When even Jesus says he doesn't know when he's coming back, he says, the Father knows and will send me. We're so sure that it will run like clockwork. We're not so different than the Israelites. We want a different character and a different plan. And the question for both us and the Israelites in our passage in First Samuel is, if God were to come, would we recognize him? Would we recognize his character and his plan at all? When God finally came to the Israelites, they did not recognize him. Jesus' character couldn't have possibly been God's. He cares for the Samaritans? Jesus couldn't possibly be following God's plan. It led to his torture and death. Not God's plan. But when God came in Jesus, we see a consistent display of God's character. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, um, but Jesus is the most clear picture of God that humanity has received since Adam and Eve, since when they walked with him in the cool of the garden, because they walked with Jesus. They walked with God himself. Abraham heard a voice. Moses was hidden in the cleft of a rock and saw God's backside. Some elders saw God's footstool, the, the bottom of his feet, and they were afraid. But when Jesus Arrived and showed us what God is like. We saw the same characteristics that we see on display in the Old Testament. We see attentiveness and compassion, like when he noticed the woman who touched him in the crowd. We see a creator and deliverer who brought a little girl back to life. We see one who is eternal and faithful, fulfilling promises like setting those um, captured by evil spirits free. We see one generous and glorious, transfiguring on a mountain to his disciples so that they could see his glory. We see one good and holy, like a good shepherd who fed 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. We see one who is unchanging, giving us the same God as the Old Testament. But Jesus was still incomprehensible. He would confound his disciples and send them away confused. He was infinite the one who said before Abraham was, I am. He was jealous for the worship of his father and cleansing the temple. He was just, arbitrating in favor of the man born blind. He loved his enemies and those who abandoned him. He was merciful to the woman caught in adultery. He's omnipotent, healing those filled with legions of demons. He's omnipresent to those in need by the power of his spirit. He's omniscient and able to know who would betray him. He's patient, waiting on God's plan. He is a provider and refuge for our children. He is righteous enough to merit the salvation of all the sheep who are his. He is self-existent and self-sufficient. The word who was in the beginning was with God and was made flesh himself. He is sovereign and able to command the wind and the waves. He is transcendent, truthful, and wise, confounding religious PhDs at the age of 12. He is worthy of all of our praise, and he is wrathful, coming again to judge the living and the dead." Jesus not only displayed to us God's character, but also shows us that obedience to God's plan, even when God's plan exposes us to unbelievable risk, is the most secure place for us to be. And I know I use this example a lot, but I think it just continues to stand out to me. uh, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's crucified, prays and asks the Father that this cup uh, might pass from him so that he he, he doesn't have to go to the cross. Jesus doesn't want to die. On the cross. And he asks God, but he says, not my will, but yours be done. He doesn't demand it like Satan tried to tempt him to do when Jesus said he lived on bread alone um, uh, not not on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the Father. He doesn't demand it like we and the Israelites so often do. He said, not my will, not my plan, Father, but yours be done. And although it arguably led Jesus to the most insecure place, more insecure than any of us have ever ever been, naked, dying on a cross, crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew that the most secure place for him was in obedience to God's plan for his life. If we are looking for true security, we ought not look further than God's character and plan on full display in Christ Jesus when he made our security permanent. Jesus is the king who is coming to give and give and give. He is God himself, who we with the Israelites rejected from ruling over us, who shouted, crucify him, and who instead of taking from us our sons and daughters, and instead of taking a tenth and making us slaves, this king, long looked for but unexpected, shows us the character and plan of God to redeem, redeem us, and he does it by giving himself for us. Will you reject this God king and cry out for security like the other nations? Security that will eventually enslave you. Or will the character and plan of this king cause you to bow the knee to him? You know, this king did not just rescue us so that he could enslave us, um, so that we could do his dirty work. But he redeemed us so that he might call us friends. And he intended that we not only hear this proclaimed to us from his word, That we see the negative example of it in 1 Samuel, but that we would also be able to taste it upon our lips at this table. So, Jesus, this God King, King of Kings, who gave himself for you, invites you to this table. The night that he was betrayed, when his disciples rejected him, he took bread, and having blessed it, he broke it, and he turned and he gave it to his disciples as I ministering his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said to them, Take this bread. And eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed it and had given thanks, he said to his his disciples, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of your sins. Take and drink. This is not Trinity Church's table, Uh, this is not the Presbyterian Church in America, the denomination that we are associated with's table. This is Jesus's table. To all those who have seen his character and his plan and have bowed the knee to him, who have been baptized into his name, this table is for you and he invites you. If this is not true for you, um, if you're not sure that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, if you've not been baptized into his name, I'd ask you to refrain from this portion of our service. There's a prayer that you can make use of uh, in our bulletin. Um, You could also talk with me or Kyle or any one of our church leaders. Um, We'd love to uh, answer any questions that you might have about who King Jesus is. Now in a moment, I'm going to pray, and we can come down the center aisle. We can go to these serving stations on my right and my left. There's gluten-free bread available if you so require. Just notify your, your server. And then there's also red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. If you would, please pray with me. King Jesus, you are not a king like the other nations. You cannot be commanded by us, by our priests, by our kings. You cannot be limited by man-made temples. You are king over all the earth. We ask, Lord, that even at this table, you might unite us to yourself, that you might show us your presence through this bread and this wine by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might taste the height and the depth and the breadth of your love for us. Amen.